And so before I get started, I want you to know that I was asked to approach this as not so much a traditional message as a testimonial. So receive that in that context. And I'm going to pepper in a lot of stories for you today. This first one may be a tad traumatic for my husband, Taylor, but it feels a lot like the parable of the sower in and of itself. So Taylor, like Joel, is from Nebraska. And I think about the parable of the sower. I think about farming and agriculture and all the work that goes in to producing something from the land. So when we moved to Richmond and we got our first house, in our backyard there were garden beds. And listen, Taylor loves working in the backyard. He has a big green thumb. But when we got the garden beds, I saw like a whole new level of green thumb in him gardening. And we have grown a lot of things over time in in the gardens. But my favorite is his endeavor to grow corn. You know, the crop of Nebraska feels very appropriate. I hope you're listening, Joel. It's all about you. And... The first year we learned, squirrels really like corn. We didn't have much luck. We have a fence that wraps around our backyard, and they kind of perch, and they just watch, and they wait. And so year two, Taylor came back stronger than ever in what we call the corn fortress. Is this masterful enclosure that let the stalks thrive and kept the squirrels out. It did exactly what it was intended to do. But what was also happening is Taylor is an immaculate gardener. So there were weeds that were starting to grow amongst the stalks. He couldn't take it. He needed to open up the corn fortress and pull the weeds out. And the stalks had grown pretty tall. It's pretty sturdy. It's pretty strong. We didn't see any squirrels in the backyard. And he said, I think we got it. It's good. And we all went back into the house. I want to say about five minutes had passed. And I looked back out into the backyard. All the stalks were on the ground, ripped to pieces, gone. Total and utter disruption. I think I heard taps playing in the background. I saw it first. I had to tell Taylor. I was a little scared to do that, speaking of fear. But that's how it works. The parable of the sower, in an instant, months of intention and nurturing wiped away. These are disruptive times. When I think about a word to catalog how I feel about the last year and a half, of so much disruption to how we go about our days, how we live our lives, how we see ourselves, how we see others. I thought I had felt every emotion of the spectrum until this year. I've lost family to old age, suicide. I've gained perspective. I have been blessed with new people and responsibilities flitting into my life. With so much disruption, unrest, and uncertainty, I wanted to bring a message forward about recentering and finding peace in our faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. It's one of the very first pieces of scripture I can remember memorizing. So simple. And then the parable of the sower. Both of these scriptures stress the importance of consistently listening for God's call listening beyond our lived experience, our privilege, and the distractions that choke out our ability to serve and see God's hand in our lives. My message today 
is about unpacking three things that often get in the way of us really listening. And with each, I will offer up a challenge for you to reflect upon, and me as well, I promise. So barrier number one, scriptural imposter syndrome or spiritual imposter syndrome. There's someone more qualified. Someone else will jump in, right? It is something that I quietly in the back of my head tend to do when an email gets sent and 20 other people are copied on it or when Joel sends a text message out to some elders about maybe doing a sermon. There's somebody else, right? According to a review article published in the International Journal of Behavioral Science, an estimated 70% of people experience imposter feelings at some point in their lives. We humans are so adverse to taking something on. Unless we know with 10,000% certainty, we have the skills and knowledge to rock it out. What can grow in you and through you if you try? This question made me think about Jadav Ping, who is known as the forest man of India. And if you're intrigued, all you have to do is Google the forest man of India, and you can watch a 16-minute YouTube documentary on this man's story. He started planting trees in what used to be a sandy wasteland in 1979, one tree a year for nearly 40 years. Now, it's a gigantic forest, larger than Central Park in New York. It's home to tigers, monkeys, elephants, what was once sand and driftwood. Peng says, now seeds of grass carried downriver from China wash up and pollinate on their own. He jokes that it was really hard in the beginning and that when the trees got big enough and started producing their own seeds, It was just really easier. And there is that learning curve in anything that we choose to do. And so my confession to you all is that there is not an elder at WPC who I've spoken with who has not admitted to being flooded with insecurity and self-doubt when being asked to be a leader of the church. I'm one of them. I remember the moment I was asked to consider it. I figured there had to have been another Katie Joel meant to ask. There wasn't. Why me? I had to think about it a lot. Ultimately, I had to search my heart and hear the call being made to me. I had to stand up to the opportunity to serve, even though it terrified me to take it on. Doing this Right now, this message, who am I? I asked Joel, what would you like me to do? Wait, I get to pick the scriptures? How does one pick scriptures? Are there rules about long versus short scripture that I should select? All I could do to get to this very moment is pray my heart out for discernment and believe in God calling me through, Joel, to take this on. So here's my challenge and question for each of you. What's one thing you can do in your faith that will stretch you spiritually? Perhaps even a call in your gut you've been dismissing. This act doesn't have to be as revolutionary as it sounds. In fact, I did something in this very service that petrifies me to the bone. It's not the message. It was singing the solo with Kenna. 
I have sung ever since I was very little. I read music, but I have a horrible ear. If you just, you know, pushed me with your pinky or a gust of wind came up in the sanctuary, that's all it takes to to totally get me off a tune. I'll sing sour notes. Anytime I do a solo at this church, what you don't see is me waking up before work or practicing the songs during my lunch break 50, 100 times. I usually spend 30-minute chunks listening to an arrangement, just trying to get it in my head because Kenna is a masterful organist and pianist. And so she likes to have her own voice, which, like, who wouldn't blame her, right? That means she's never playing the notes often that you sing. And so for a person who really needs to hear the notes not to have that is the scariest thing ever. Sometimes Taylor likes to say, oh, you get so dramatic when you sing and you put both hands on the mic. It is not dramatic effect. It's because my hands are shaking. But I do it because I was asked and I felt called And it stretched me and it's challenged me and I'm actually kind of getting better at it. Thank you, Kenna, for putting up with me. Again, what's something spiritual that may give you the scaries? I dare you to take it on. You don't want to pass up on a dare, right? We have to stop doubting ourselves. Think about Psalm 118. The stone rejected by the builders is now the foundation stone. You can indeed be an uplifter and a rock for others. Barrier number two, commitment issues, is brought to you by a straight-up workaholic. That's me. According to Chris Bailey, author of Hyperfocus, How to Be More Productive in a World of Distraction, We humans are hardwired for distraction. Our brain's attentional system is programmed to respond to anything pleasurable, threatening, or novel. The average person is distracted or interrupted every 40 seconds when working in front of a computer. Is it just me? Or do you feel like you get daily whiplash just trying to juggle all the balls we put in our courts? Family careers, side hustles, extracurriculars. It's dizzying. It was, even before. Scramble the world and toss on the pandemic, and we're now living in a full-court press of all the things. Author of The Organized Mind, Daniel Levitin, reports in 2011, Americans took in five times as much information every day as they did in 1986 the equivalent of 175 newspapers. During our leisure time, not counting working, individuals process on average 34 gigabytes or 100,000 words a day. But let's walk it back to the parable of the sower and the strength of our spiritual soil. Plants don't grow when we don't make time for our faith. Sometimes, even the seeds get eaten up before anything can take root. Yet, when we take the time to listen and make space for God's call, we can produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as what we've planted. What's stunting your spiritual soil? 
There's an old Atlantic article from 2014 by Derek Thompson that kind of knocks the wind out of me. It's called The Myth That Americans Are Busier Than Ever. It's a fire hose of data going back to the 1950s up until 2012, showing how we in America spend our time, and that you could argue that there are places where people actually spend less time on things they once did. Thank you, washing machines, dishwashers. And while I'm going to stay away from the nitty-gritty of the data, you don't really need to look far below the headline for some thought-provoking questions. How do we define busy? And how do we define we? Americans aren't a monolith. And the strain and stretch on a single mom or someone who is working three jobs to cover what another person gets in a salary at a single job, it's different. What is true is we all get 24 hours in a day. We all make choices in how we distribute what we do with those 24 hours. This is a space I singularly feel like I'm failing. I had to step back and look at how I spend my day, oftentimes 16 hours a day, on one thing, my work. Having to have hard conversations with myself lately, I've had to strip away the argument that I've merely been busy. I've had to face what I was focusing on and start talking to God about my priorities. A woman I consider a friend and mentor, Laura Venerable, her dad was a professor at Virginia Tech. She taught me what exactly a hokey was. We would have football parties at, at this company that we worked at together, and she brought like a 10-foot-tall blow-up hokey bird. It was terrifying, and it's still terrifying. But much love to you, Virginia Tech fans, if we have them at WPC. She's the first person I called when Taylor and I were considering moving to Richmond. And we worked together at the software development company. And one of the things that she believes in was routinely removing software functionality, not just adding more and more features. So here's my challenge two for barrier number two. What can you let go of or remove to make space for your faith? more space to listen. What's really important? This pandemic has forced us to look at priorities, the totality of life and what we're doing. And it's amazing what you can make space for when you say you're going to do it. The last barrier, barrier number three, no interpreter. It's one thing to listen, but sometimes we can't make sense of the call, I save the best for last because this is such an important thing. You don't have to listen alone. Sometimes it takes a buddy to work through where our hearts and heads are to take real action. Fun fact, Joel is drawing inspiration for upcoming sermons uh, from this book, The New City Catechism. And he gave each of the elders a copy. Uh, there's basically a question and answer you can read and work toward memorizing. If you do one a week, you'll get through the book in a year. I could go it alone, but Taylor and I are actually reading it together. Once a week, after dinner, we read and discuss. 
We talk about what we're hearing from each section, and we kind of talk a little bit more about the scriptures specifically. Because again, what we hear and what resonates to us because of what we're doing in our day-to-day, it's different. And it's kind of funny, the conversations that you can have grounded in scripture when you try about life and what's going on in life, what's working, what's not. The whole experience is richer, and all the words stick with me in a more profound way. I wish I had done things like this before, honestly. Another fab devotional book that Joel bestowed on us elders, Surviving the Bible, is honestly my favorite. It's really well done. It's scripture. It's human. What I love about WPC as a community and a congregation is it grounds scripture in modern context, which is helpful. So any section that you'll read, there'll be like links to additional articles or a YouTube video or a song. And it's, it's, it's just really fun to, to navigate. And so this is one for the year 2018, but there's a 2019 and a 2020. I bought them all. The author, Christian Pyatt, in his unpacking of some of the scriptures, writes about the importance of faith communities, saying that Psalm 133 offers poetic comparisons that suggest the holiness of people unifying and living together in community. Not only is it good, it is sacred and blessed by God as humanity was intended to live. He also calls attention to the emphasis John writes about the value and necessity of strong community, especially centered around holding each other up in our faith practices. As we hear more and more about the Delta variant and we consider all the ways we've had to isolate ourselves over the last year and a half, we also need to think about what the future of community looks like at WPC. How are you connecting and getting spiritual support from this vibrant group of people that we all share in because God brought us together? So my last challenge to you, that's sort of a sneak peek, and we've been subtly talking about it, not so subtly talking about it, is the event and the service on September 12th. You know, again, we keep casually bringing it up. Some pieces will be outside, some pieces will be inside. But a part of this event will be each of you getting to hear about a few different programs and opportunities that the WPC session has been ruminating upon to reconnect our community. Each of these avenues are quite different and quite flexible. Some are grounded in informal fun, others setting spiritual intentions, or getting to know our community and faith partners better. Come to that event. Show up come. If for whatever reason you need someone to help get you here, I will bring you. I will be here. If you're uncomfortable coming into places or gathering with a group outside, I will FaceTime you in and I will walk you around. This is so important. Come to that event. Listen intensely and search your heart and lean on God to discern what all of this means for you and where you can place a slice of your time, talents, and treasures.
So to close this message, I'm going to ask us to take 60 seconds in silence, and I will be the timekeeper. Spend a full minute to reflect on what you've heard and what's resonating within you. Close your eyes. What are you being called to do? What is your gut pulling you toward? You can open your eyes. Thanks be to God. Amen.